Okay, well, um, this morning is kind of a summary of all of the past several weeks that we've been going through with uh, this chapter in Luke, in Luke 10. Um, and what frustration of mine is, usually this always happens, is after I do a series of like six, seven, eight weeks, and then there's the end of it, and I realize I could have summarized eight weeks in one sermon. And that's always kind of like, oh, what, you know. But I'm hoping that um, well, you'll be able to pull from different pieces, and it will all, kind of all come together um, this week, especially as I've added the Galatians verse. Um, I wanted to summarize with kind of two basic points where we've gone and where we'll be going, I think, from, for the most part, for the rest of the year. Um, so I put it up here so you could kind of have it. Um, the first part of this, I, I specifically think that Luke 10, but you could clearly see it in Galatians, is we are his beloved. And we're going to unpack that today a little bit more. And the second one is to extend and proclaim to others the beauty of his creative love. So if I could summarize with two words, really it's about belovedness and beauty. And so this morning we're going to talk about belovedness and beauty and hopefully kind of pull all those pieces together. But... Um, as a father of young children, I find that I say words a lot of times that they give me those looks. You've probably all seen them from kids, but they're like, what are you talking about? Like, I hear the words that are coming out of your mouth, but I have no idea what you're saying. And as I was processing these two points of belovedness and beauty, um, I started to ask myself, what is our definition of belovedness? And you know, I love my questions, so... I would love for you all to reflect and talk amongst yourselves for a minute. How would you define belovedness? What is belovedness? So take a minute and go ahead and do that. What is belovedness? How would you define it? I mean, this is kind of like an essential aspect of our relationship with God. I mean, there's a lot of essential aspects. But when we talk about personal identity in Christ, this idea of belovedness, if there's anything that I could hopefully, that hope for as we walk away into our week, and, and this is really an aspect of worship. It is an aspect of worship when we understand what our belovedness is. So whether it's a blanket or unconditional love or your value or meaning to somebody, I, I just want the dictionary route. So I'll give you just the dictionary version. Um, it's the state or condition of being dearly loved. Mm. The state or condition of being dearly loved. Um, the immediate thing that I think of, um, and maybe bringing us back to our childhood, uh, did you ever have a stuffed animal or like a blanket that went with you everywhere? Or both, okay. So you had lots of love. Yeah, okay. Thanks for the honesty. Um, but you, you would go everywhere with it. I mean, that was your treasure. And it, and, it, and it got ratty, usually, right? And I think that's a reflection of that dearly loved sort of relationship that you had is it's nasty looking because it's gone everywhere with you. 
It carries all the battle scars of, of love. Um, belovedness is the state or condition of being dearly loved. So I, I would love for you to consider um, this morning, what does it mean when, when you talk about your state? Because state or condition is you're standing before someone or something. So when we talk about the state or condition, it means that when you're before God, the way that he looks at you is that you are dearly loved. That's your condition. Not what you think in your head, not what you say when you make a mistake or you sin or anything. I'm saying your condition before God is dearly loved. Do you believe that? And do you live fully into that? So these are the things that we have to wrestle with. Um, when, when I was looking through scripture this week, I was trying to articulate in a short passage something that expressed to me our belovedness. Um, and there's many passages in scripture that do that, but this is one um, that I particularly love. It's from Hosea, but um, it's also in Romans 9. I'm, I'll read it for you. It says, as indeed he says in Hosea, those who are not my people... I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called children of the living God. Now the original context of this verse is Israel. It's the Israelites, it's the Jew. So I don't want to lose sight as the specific people being addressed where people that were really wrestling with this, and even more so in Hosea, if you've ever read Hosea, it's a very difficult but beautiful passage uh, stuck in Hosea for a purpose. But I don't know if there's ever been a time in your life where you've never felt like you were a part of a group, like you felt like you were an outsider, where you felt like um, you didn't have a people. Maybe it was even in relationship to the, the people that are closest to you. Like sometimes you're sitting around family and you're thinking, I don't know that I fit in here. I'm just throwing some different situations out. Maybe it's when you're in school or maybe at work. That deep feeling of, I don't, I don't have a people. I don't have a place. And God says, but you're my people. You're mine. And then have you ever been in a situation where you thought that you should be someone's beloved or, or relationally beloved, but then you come to the realization, oh, I guess I'm not. And then all those, that internal conflict inside of you, that comes about. And then you start, because remember, this is your state or condition, belovedness. So if you feel like somebody's saying to you, you are not my beloved, somebody that you thought that you were in relationship with them in that way, what does that then do to you? It disorients your state and condition, doesn't it? Suddenly what you thought is no longer the case, or at least that's what you tell yourself. And then in the midst of that, God says what? I will call you beloved. Now, in part, who this is being addressed to uh, in Hosea, if you're familiar with the story, not just Israel, but Israel is often referred to as a prostitute. So, you know, um, seedy characters, people that are broken, people that are struggling, this is who he's saying, you're my beloved. 
And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they should be called children of the living God. And that's going back to this Galatians verse too. It's this inheritance idea. Right? Not just, not just that we are his beloved, but we are brought not just into a state or condition, but a relationship. So you're no longer just in name or title beloved. Relationally, you're seen as a child of God, of a living God. A God that continues, that's why it's powerful. Children, for me, when I read it, living God, is that it's ongoing. So your, your childness, your belovedness, your identity, your state condition, it's constant in a world that's inconsistent around us. Belovedness. Now, um, Henry Nowen uh, is an, an author that I particularly have identified with over the past couple years. And this is something that he says in regards to belovedness. He says, uh, and this is from his book, Life of the Beloved, which I would strongly recommend that you read. Uh, it says, becoming the beloved means letting the truth of our belovedness become enfleshed in everything we think, say, and do. I'll read that one more time. Becoming the beloved means letting the truth of our belovedness become enfleshed in everything we think, say, and do. The reason why I chose this quote is because there is something to, yes, our state and condition is belovedness, dearly loved. But there is also becoming that. Believing it is another way of saying it. Because belief is demonstrated by action, isn't it? I feel like a lawyer when I say that, isn't it? Did I do good? I did it again, didn't I, Gary? Uh, becoming the beloved. It means, when I say becoming, because sometimes when we interpret becoming, it's like, I'm not, I haven't arrived yet. I haven't gotten there yet. But becoming in this con in context is we already are. So becoming means to, to really enflesh that. That's why I love that word, enflesh, is to live fully into what, the thoughts, what we say, what we do, is that in everything that we are, it's dearly loved regardless of situation, circumstance, regardless of what people say or do, how people welcome us or fail us, we're beloved and becoming enfleshed. Like Christ, see, Christ was what enfleshed. And everything that he thought and he said and he did reflected his belovedness. So belovedness, the state or condition of being dearly loved, This, I think, is a trickier question to define. But you're, you're going to do it. Um, what is beauty? So take a moment, reflect, and then talk about it. what is beauty? What is beauty? What is beauty?
Okay. What is beauty to you? How would you define beauty? And don't say Sean. Nature, okay. Reflection of God in you. That's my, my mom said. Pastor's mom, I guess. Well, somebody else said, other than nature, I heard mountains. Yeah, ocean. Pastor said, I have the beholder. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Anybody else? Defies age. The circumstance. Okay. Before I, I give you a passage that I think unpacks beauty for us in God's eyes, because that's really the most important, right? Like, I think going to what Marlene said is, because we're all different people, how we define beauty can be different. And some can be super healthy, and then others can be really not healthy at all. And so there needs to be kind of a foundational definition of beauty. And I'll get to that, but before I do that, I want to bring us back to Galatians for a second, because um, I think in order for us to understand beauty, and it's kind of that bridge between belovedness and beauty, is a specific aspect of our identity, which I mentioned was a child of God. Um, but in verse, if you, if you wanted to follow along, it's uh, on page 947, um, but I'll read it again for you. Um, it's, it's actually, I always struggle, there's this thing called cherry picking with scripture, where it's like, oh, I'm just going to pick this verse that works, and this verse that works. I always struggle when I have this really foundational kind of core passage to not unpack all of the meaning of it, but I'm going to step back, and I'm not going to do that this morning. I'm just going to allow um, the verses to speak for themselves, but just know that um, I understand that maybe we, under, we struggle to understand what the law is because we don't live under the law. So I recognize that. But I still think even in our struggle to understand what it would mean for a Jew to live under the law, um, I still think that we can really find depth in this verse 27, for example. Um, it says, As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And I'll pause for a moment. Uh, again, in relation to belovedness and beauty, um, how do we often, like when, when we look at somebody, what are the things that we notice about them? Especially if you find them, let's say, attractive. Their clothing, how they do their hair, makeup, no makeup. Those simple things. This, this, I don't want to say superficial in a negative way, but certainly on the surface, right? But here, uh, in our baptism, it says that, that the, the, the surface of who we are, even, is Christ. 
But we know it goes so much deeper than just the surface. It's not, not only are we clothed with Christ, is we have Christ in us. And because of that, so remember, oftentimes, uh, you know, if, if, for example, using status of today, if I'm wearing a Rolex watch, what is that generally, what do we associate with that? Wealth, Wealth right? If I'm driving, you know, a super rare, I don't know, car, what does that usually mean? Wealth, status, position, power. And it's no different in the first century. What you wore, how you carried yourself, often demonstrated who you were. So that's why in verse 28, when it says, there is no longer Jew or Greek, well, you would easily, readily be able to identify a Jew just by what they wore, or a Greek just by what they wore. No longer male and female. Well, not saying that suddenly there's cross-dressing that's going on and all that kind of stuff. It's just to say that what defines us isn't Jew or Greek. It's not male or female. For all of you are what? One in Christ Jesus. In other words, no matter what you're wearing, what you're wearing is all the same. And because of that, it sets an entirely different trajectory for life and community and relationship and fellowship and belovedness because we're all beloved in God's eyes. Accordingly, uh, because you belong to Christ and you are Abraham's offspring, meaning, again, your heirs, is that there's a possession that you hold. And that's where prosperity gospel has gone. You know, we're heirs of Christ and we should, we should be able to buy the Rolexes and we should be able... By the way, the, the, the air, the things that we receive in Christ is usually suffering. That's the opposite of a Rolex, by the way. Um, if we're talking about what we receive, it's, it's generally suffering. It's difficulty because the world is diametrically opposed. It's against the things of God. And that, and that's not warfare language. That's not battle language. It's to say, in other words, the world doesn't know how beloved they are in God's eyes. And so um, the law had a purpose that people were under, but then Jesus comes and he fulfills that purpose. And because of his fulfillment, we become adopted into the family of God. And then there's that passage in, uh, in verse 6. And because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. So now superficial to deep in our hearts. And what does that depth produce in us? A cry that says, Abba, Father. See, the thing is, is that what I've noticed with, especially my younger, when my children were younger, two, three, is that moment, that epiphany of, man, you really love me, don't you? And you see that in relationships, that moment where there's like this, this light that flashes and they say, I'm dearly loved in your eyes. Do you know that moment? Because what that ultimately produces is this cry like, Daddy, Daddy. And it's personal for me because I'm a daddy, but it's mommy or it's aunt or friend or, what, or husband, wife. There's that thing that's produced where you say, Wow, Abba, Father. It's, it's when the world around us says, this is what you need to be superficially. 
And God says, no, I put my very spirit in your heart. And what that does is it makes you cry out, Abba. There's no better place to, for me to be than in your love. And so we proclaim that. We can't help but do that. So you're no longer a slave to the superficial ways of the world that tells you you have to be like this or be like that or do this or do that. You can live into the inheritance that God gives you. So when we talk about beauty, because I said belovedness and beauty, is that there's different ways, I think, to live into that inheritance. Uh, let's, let's use nature. Nancy said uh, nature earlier in terms of, of beauty. Is beauty meant to be in like an enclosed space that nobody can experience? No. Beauty is meant to be shared and experienced. I mean, if you've ever walked through, I don't know, an art museum, right? And there's some stuff that's super weird and you're like, I don't get this at all. Right? But then there's other stuff that you walk through and you're just like, I could stare at this picture for hours. There was a photographer uh, when I was in high school. His name was Ansel Adams. Um, many of you are familiar. I could stare at it. I mean, we're talking about a picture. I could stare at it for hours because it was so beautiful. See, the thing about, what, what about belovedness and what makes it beautiful is it's meant to be experienced by others. It's not just meant to be in a box. I don't know, I think of the Beauty and the Beast, right? The, the rose that's in a glass. You can see it, but you can't touch it. Can you really experience the beauty of that? Here's a verse um, that I thought expressed beauty in a beautiful way. And it's in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. So we're hitting this Galatians. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not the result of works, so that no one may boast. So I'm going to pause there for a moment. That means it doesn't matter how much makeup you put on. It doesn't matter how well you do your... I'm talking about spiritually, right? The clothes that you... None of, it, none of your belovedness is by what you do. You are simply dearly loved. Why? For we are what he has made us. He's making us. Like he is the one that defines our beauty. The most important eye, when Marlene said the eye of the beholder, this is an important question to ask yourself. Whose eye is the most important eye? In your life? Is it coworkers? Is it family? Is it friends? Are you most concerned with how they see you? Or are you most concerned with how God sees you? For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. So not only, and this, I've, I've, preach on this particular passage before. So for many of you, this is a refresher. But we are made, we are beautiful, dearly loved, but for a purpose, for good works. So this belovedness, this beauty that we experience is meant to be given, shared, imparted to other people in intentional ways. I think of gardens, right? Manicured, 
Not, not so that way people can be like, oh, that's a perfect garden. But really, pruning takes place, shaping takes place for it to actually flourish. That's, it's for good works. And it's, this is the thing that I was reflecting on. Not only are we created for a purpose, we are prepared beforehand in Christ for that purpose. So really, you accepting the beauty of God in your life, in other words, giving the beauty to other people, you're already prepared for it. How many times in your life have you felt unprepared for something? Right? Most Sunday mornings for me. (laughs) (laughs) But then as I'm living into my belovedness, living into the beauty of God, and I start sharing the beauty of God, and I'm like, oh, snap, you prepared me all along for this. And the same thing for, for you. That moment when you felt unprepared, then suddenly you stepped into something that reflects who you are. Suddenly you're like, oh my goodness. What was I even stressed about? Why? Why was I stressed about this? And he ends this particular portion of scripture with, to be our way of life. Did you know that your belovedness is a way of life? Just like Henry Nowen was saying. That beauty is a way of life. That you are called into co-creating with God. And co-creation is a partially reconciliation and restoration. I had my dad read that passage in Luke again. And last week we talked about how God changes the lawyer's question from who should I love to what does it mean to love well? And that's that beauty portion. And... um, Hopefully this week, maybe you were processing, what is it? Who is my neighbor? Not like the lawyer. Who is my neighbor so that way I can be justified before God? But who can I love well? Who maybe is in my life that I struggle to love well? Um, I have a a close friend. um, I'm not allowed to mention her name because this is being recorded. And I'm going to tell you a story. Um, And the people's names uh, that have been changed for their protection. I got permission to read this story, but I thought it encapsulates so much of what we've been talking about over the last several weeks. Um, it, It embodies how much God loves us and how much he wants us to share his love. Um, so I'm going to read it to you. Um, it was, I'll just read what she wrote. This is the email from my friend. It says, uh, this, it's entitled World Refugee Week, Day 2. So this week, I'm not sure if you were aware, uh, was the Refugee Week. So I was really looking at intentional stories of the refugee crisis that's going around in the world. This week is World Refugee Week. Each day this week, I'm going to send you a story of progress toward reaching the Muslim diaspora in Europe with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is moving here. There's a warning that I will give you. Uh, it works, the warning works easier in an email because then you can just delete the email or not read it. But I feel like this story does contain an attempted suicide. So you can just be aware of that. This is the story of my friend Abdullah. Abdullah is from Kurdistan. Just so you can see, I prepared a map so you can follow along as you're listening Abdullah's journey. Abdullah is from Kurdistan, which is in northern Iraq. He's the only son of parents who had him later in life. At the height of ISIS activity in Syria and Iraq, Abdullah and his friend Muhammad decided to flee. 
knowing that if they stayed, they would be drawn into fighting ISIS and would likely be killed. He left at the urging of his parents, but they stayed behind. When they said goodbye, they knew it was likely goodbye forever. The two young men made their way north to the Turkish border on foot, by car and on horseback, traversing hills and mountains and ISIS strongholds. Over the course of the next several months, they made it into Turkey, across the entire entirety of the country, it's huge, as you can see, <laughs> and into Europe. They stuck to the south and followed the Mediterranean Sea around, eventually landing in Spain. In God's great mercy and in their great need, they landed within reach of Jesus' followers who could meet their felt needs, like food and clothing, and also welcomed them and loved them with all their might. The two found housing, renting, uh, they too found housing, renting individual rooms near the center of the city, and they began settling into life in Spain. But despite the relative safety of his new surroundings, Abdullah was angry, angry at the injustice against his people, angry at God, angry that he couldn't get in touch with his parents, angry that he had to leave Kurdistan. He heard the gospel a few times since arriving, but hadn't given it much thought. But then, and I always love these but-then statements. One night this past August, in a dream, Jesus came to Abdullah and said, I'll show you who I am, but I want you to take care of your neighbor first. Immediately, Abdullah woke up. He didn't know what the dream meant entirely, but he was eager to respond, so he decided to take care of his neighbor, who happened to be Muhammad. He knocked on Muhammad's door, Softly first, it was the middle of the night after all. Then loudly, but there was no answer. Confident that Jesus had asked him to take care of his neighbor, he kicked in Muhammad's door and found that his friend, in deep desperation and sadness, had just hung himself. Abdullah cut Muhammad down, and then he breathed life back into his lungs, and mercifully, Muhammad came back. God had woken Abdullah up at the very moment of his friend's greatest need, and not only that, but sent him to his friend's door with enough conviction to kick it in. With his own breath, he gave his friend back life, and the next morning, they both received life. Both young men gave their lives to Christ, and now, not a day passes without other Muslim refugees hearing Abdullah and Muhammad's story. These two men have led many others to Christ. Hearing Abdullah retell the story is remarkable. This lifelong follower of Allah didn't wonder for a second who was standing before him in that dream. He knew this is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Redeemer. He awoke knowing his life would never be the same. We are so beloved that God would show up in another person's dream and have them kick down a door to show his love. If that's not belovedness, I don't know what is. And you can listen to that story, you can say, I mean, this is the journey, and I'm being generous, this is the most direct route. I didn't have a chance to ask my friend, a lot of it wasn't by boat, a lot of it was just walking. I mean, 
can you imagine that journey? Now, Abdullah and Muhammad's journey is very different than our journey. But we're all on journeys. We're all desperately seeking to understand what it means to be beloved. What it means to be dearly known and loved and to experience beauty in a tangible way and then to give that beauty to somebody else. And that's what I love about this story is that as they experienced very intentional belovedness and as they lived into that, their just natural reaction is, can I tell you about my friend named Jesus? Now, I, I don't tell you the story so that way we can feel ashamed for all the things that we aren't doing, for all the ways that we don't see ourselves as beloved, for all the ways that we aren't living into this beauty and sharing this beauty. It's just to say, I share this story with you as God is so intentional about his love for us. And if we live into that, if we lean into it just a little bit, I'm not even talking about like the level where you held your, your stuffed animal or your blanket, right? I'm not even like, go, I'm just saying just a little bit. If you believed your belovedness, that you are dearly loved, and the beauty, what would that do to your life? Certainly, Muhammad and Abdullah, they have a difficult life still. I mean, it's still a reality. They're never going to see their parents again, probably. But remember that passage where it said, you know, I don't know my people. And God says, you have my people. Now they have people. Now they really have people. They know that they're beloved. I mean, that's the church. You are my people. Now I'm your person. And we walk this beloved life together. And we share in the beauty together. Let me uh, ask you, who is your neighbor? You don't need to answer that to me. But who is your neighbor? Who is the person that's, that's probably a contact in your phone right now that needs you to kick down their door? And not like an aggressive like, I'm not, let me tell you about Jesus today. You start throwing Bibles at him and stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that needs that intentional love. That God has prepared you to give. And the way that you know that you're prepared is, again, by your belovedness. You see that cycle? Belovedness, beauty, belovedness, beauty, belovedness, beauty. The more you experience the beauty, the more you realize your belovedness. The more you realize your benevolentness, the more you share his beauty. It's not something that you have to work up. Like you got to wake up and like, oh my gosh, I'm going to need coffee to do this today. It's like, no, I just love to do this. This is this life. So let me pray for us as we prepare our hearts for the table this morning um, and sharing God's belovedness. Oh, let's pray. Uh, God, I thank you. Um, that you are so intentional about the way that you love us. I thank you that you are a God that will show up in our dreams, in our most broken places, that you will send people to kick down our doors in our moments of desperation and sorrow and grief. I thank you that you're a God that proclaims that we are your beloved, that we are dearly loved, 
and we can't earn that love. So this beauty that we share in it, it's not because we perfectly manicured our spiritual lives so that way you would love us more. No, you simply love us, and I thank you for that. And we can see that by your death on the cross, Jesus. That you would believe so much about our belovedness that you would die for us. So God, I pray that you would prepare our hearts this morning as we look to your broken body and your shed blood, the bread and the wine. That as we partake in this grace, that you would uh, write deep things in our heart through your spirit, and that our only response could be, Abba, Father. Because we can see not just a glimmer, but a bright shining light of your love in our lives. I pray this morning for freedom for all of us, God. Freedom from the lies that we've believed. Freedom from the chains that have shackled us from the boxes that we put you in or ourselves in. I pray that you would blow up the boxes, that you would break the chains, that you would cast away the lies, and that we could find your love, because it's there. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.